it is what it is. It is what it is. So I went in. They had no golden handcuffs. I went in with my resignation letter. They were supposed to wire the money to my account on Saturday as they closed the deal. And I walked in. I saw our financial controller, and I said, "How'd it go on Saturday?" She said, "The deal fell through." I said, "You're kidding." She said, "I wish I was." Next thing I did was call my wife, and she said, "How did it go on Saturday?" It's been proven time and time again that people make the most money in their fifties. It just seems to come together in your fifties. He said, "Well, how could I do that? I don't have any money." <laughs> Like everybody else, if you're opening up a business, you either. One of the things I was talking to my son about when we first started meeting about this gym and what he wanted to do is, what can you start doing that can provide value for people, and how can you prove that you can do that consistently? Well, did your friends know you weren't doing well? Oh yeah. Well, and and I said they weren't doing well. You know, we were never starving. It sounds like you're starving as people are dropping off food at your house. <laughs> I'm Ken Hour. I'm 57 years old, living in Holly Springs, North Carolina. My company is Role Model Software. That's actually my first company. And recently, our family started Rock Solid Warrior, which is a ninja warrior and rock climbing gym in Fuquaverina. So, is Role Model Software like your main business, or what's your time spent between these two businesses that you have? Yeah, certainly. Role model software takes a majority of my time, especially right now since the gym has been shut down by our governor's orders. Yeah, why don't we talk about both in general here first? Let's talk about your main baby, and then we'll talk about why you have that gym too, if that works. Sure thing. So tell us a little bit about role model software and what it does. Role model software has been in the business of building custom software for many years. Before I started role model software, I'd been a consultant doing a very similar thing for another company. For a variety of reasons, I felt it was time to start my own business. There's actually a pretty good story behind that, which we'll probably get into later. But we've been really our expertise is in extracting other people's hard-earned expertise that they want to learn how to leverage software to help expand what they can do with that expertise, whether that's offering service to others or just streamlining their own businesses. So let's just make it as simple as possible because anyone listening is like, "What the hell do you mean, Ken?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he means now because I did remember if we give an example like the CAD thing, I think it probably would be the best thing for anyone listening. Sure. One of our offerings is we build on top of framework we've developed called Lightning CAD. Most people know CAD as a computer aided design. Think about that as something that engineers use. And what we've done is basically build custom CAD software that provides a simpler user experience that you don't need an engineer to run for applications like designing compressed air systems for a company called Rapid Air and designing platforms that are custom for each roof to prevent people who are maintaining things on roofs from falling off the platforms and getting hurt. We did a deck designer for decks.com so that people could design their own decks and in minutes end up with not only a deck that looks like what they want but the details of what all the parts they would need to buy from their favorite home improvement store and spits out permit plans that they can go get approved by anybody who feels like they need to approve their plans before they build a deck so things like that have been the construction arena and many others 
Yeah, because you got some other things that you do too. Again, we'll keep it simple. So that just the CAD, again, if anyone doesn't know, that's what usually like architects or engineers are using to make these 3D models. And let's just say if they wanted to build a deck on the back of like, you're in North Carolina, so you have elevation, right? So you might have an elevated porch or patio or deck that might come off the back of your house. Yeah, we have hills in North Carolina, not like you have in Florida. Yeah, that's what we're joking around before <laughs> that. It's like the elevation thing's easy for us because we have zero, right? So, but in North Carolina, you might have some and an architect or whatever could go in and build one in CAD, but it'd take way longer. It seems like you make something that might take six hours, come down to an hour using your software instead of using theirs. And it makes it much faster for them to figure out the parts and whatnot. And I guess get a better cost estimate instead of, even though they have CAD now, it's just kind of like too overburdensome. You're almost like, something on top of it that makes it even better and faster, it seems like. Right. We basically take the understanding of the rules of the domain and build it into the tool. So all you have to know is know what a deck looks like and figure out how you want it to look. And it'll figure out all the parts, how much structural support you need, et cetera, et cetera, rather than having to have an engineer say, oh, it looks like you're going to need a 2 by 10 there or a 2 by 12 or an extra beam or whatever. Well, it just it figures that out for you automatically. So whether it's a, whether you're doing it yourself or somebody who goes and builds decks for others, it's a pretty pretty cool tool. Yeah, if anyone goes to your website, it's rollmodelsoftware.com. You might not even need to put this on your homepage, but if you click on portfolio, I know the first thing I see is like if you watch for eight seconds, there's this GIF where you just jump around in your software showing how fast it makes everything. And yeah. It's like, okay, that super easy explanation. It says Lightning CAD framework. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. Very easy to understand. So you said this is your main business or job that you've had for how long? 23 years now. Okay. And then you mentioned another one. Do you want to just talk about that quickly too? And then we can reel it back to how you started Role Model Software? Rock Solid Warrior? Yeah. Sure. Both of my sons got into Ninja Warrior style obstacle racing, made famous by American Ninja Warrior. In an amazing series of events, God just laid into our laps. My youngest son started competing, and we built some software to help those who compete from role model. And in doing that, became kind of an expert in what it takes to run these gyms, because I was talking to all the different gym owners. And my oldest son had wanted to someday run a gym, and we were just talking one day. And before we knew it, we had this idea of putting a Ninja Warrior and rock climbing gym together, which we ended up building last year. Yeah, in fact, my son will be on American Ninja Warrior Junior, my youngest son, the day we're having this interview. And my oldest son has been on American Ninja Warrior, and we're kind of part of that community now. That's where I spend my free time. Yeah, and I think anyone listening can visualize, too, if you're saying what your software does, like how it can help someone build a deck way faster, like these architects or engineers. I'm like, okay, that doesn't make sense that it could help you build obstacle courses for these American Ninja Warriors. And again, if no one's familiar, it's like an NBC. If it comes on, I've seen on CNBC or anyways, one of these NBC sports channels, actually, that's where I keep seeing it. Actually, it's on NBC for American Ninja Warrior. And the kids version, the junior version is on Universal Kids, which is the station they own. Okay. With that, basically, someone will try to race through a course as fast as they can. And there's all these obstacles, whether you have to duck and jump over things or crawl. I mean, these people are universal. It's funny the types of contestants they'll have. They'll just have different ones coming on. Like one might be a construction worker. Another guy might be a physical trainer. Some of them are short and skinny. Some of them are huge and muscular. And it's just funny to see like kind of random people that you never thought of compete in these. And usually it's a couple of minutes. They try to race to the end and get it. But most of the contestants, it seems like end up failing and not making it. So I guess you're saying your two sons and how old are both of them? Just so I know you said one's in juniors. My oldest is 23 and my youngest is 14. 
it's actually the biggest growing sport in the country right now, biggest growing individual sport in the country. At least it was before the shutdown. Right. All sports have gone to zero. Exactly. So it's not your fault. Yeah. But yeah, the show kind of inspired the sport, but there's sports, there's competitions every weekend when things are normal. It seems like it makes sense because there's more obstacle running and stuff like started maybe five years ago, I feel like, when I'd hear about that, the type of warrior races or whatever. So this is kind of just a different spinoff where you're doing through more obstacles. And again, if you're a gymnast, these people all seem like gymnasts being able to do that. I mean, I'm just curious, how do your kids get even excited or did they just watch it on TV once and they're like, hey, dad, we want to do that. You're like, I'll build it with my software and help you all in the backyard. So we actually didn't use the software to design the courses. We actually wrote some software that helps run the competitions, give you instant leaderboards, instant leaderboards, et cetera. They just started with pull-ups and wanted to swing around. Then another gym opened up in nearby town who my, my oldest son had some connections with. They went there and fell in love with it. And they started building one in our front yard. Went from a front yard thing that cost a few thousand bucks to a massive gym that cost hundreds of thousands to populate with all the obstacles we have. So <laughs> so it became kind of a hobby and side business is basically what you're saying is that you decided... You said, well, let's make it into an indoor thing and let's go ahead and see if we can actually make a business out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Some of it is becoming a domain expert. When I look at my entrepreneurial journey, it's once you start getting really good at how something works and some industry works, you can build a business around that, right? So that's kind of what ended up happening. I accidentally became a domain expert in Ninja Warrior with the help of my son. And then they certainly know a lot more and can do a lot more than I can. Do you ever do any of the obstacles? I've competed in a beginner's competition and finished and didn't get hurt. That was my goal. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I watched a dude who was kind of a big dude. Like I'll randomly just have it on. I put sports in the background while I work. I just and put it on mute. I remember seeing one time there's a older dude who looked like he is pretty fit. His son went right before him, I think, and failed or went right after him on the course. And this guy got to the end and you usually have to run up a wall. It's like these last ones. And the guy blew out his Achilles right when he was doing it. And you could tell. And they showed it slow motion. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to. I'm like, I could tell that was coming because he was kind of a big dude. You could tell he's physically kind of fit, but he's a little too heavy to be running up a wall like that, you know? Right. Yeah. I think I've done the 12 foot wall at our place and my sons have done the 18 foot and I'm not even trying now. <laughs> it's not worth it. Not worth it, man. It's like risk reward, just like in business. But I saw that guy doing, I'm like, dude, don't do it. And then he got his momentum and then pop. And I'm like, I didn't need to watch that. It's a great sport. I love playing around in the gym, but my 57-year-old body try to stay in shape, but I'm not, it doesn't bounce like theirs does. I guess this business, do you think you did it because you wanted to like more involved with business with your sons as well? Because it seems like this is their kind of ultimate passion, or I didn't know if you got super into it too. I'm just curious kind of how that worked because I'm thinking other people might listening like, hey, you know, it'd be fun to kind of do something with the family if I could. Oh, absolutely. Well, I've been trying to run a life that's integrated from when I had my first child. Watch a lot of people work to the point where they destroy their families. And that wasn't something I wanted. And right as I was starting my business, we actually started homeschooling. My oldest daughter, who was, I guess, four or five at the time, and my oldest son was just a baby. So I started my business out of my house and my daughter was learning to read and I got to watch that happen. But as we spent a lot of time together and I started my business, it was how do I include my kids in my business? So they started out by cleaning my office and little by little over time, as I grew as an entrepreneur, I would give them entrepreneurial ideas. We had a lot of flexibility in our homeschooling. So I think my oldest son, even though he's a lot less of a risk taker than I might be, he has that in him and entrepreneurial spirit. And he was always looking for that. So he ended up getting a business degree 
and was trying to figure out what to do with it. Ninja Warrior just kind of said, fell into our lap, and we spent years talking about what it would take to do it. Took a few steps and eventually built the gym. Yeah, and where are you located? My company is in Singapore, but I live in uh, Malaysia right now. Cool, yeah. So why did you decide to become a member? You know, it was really uh, by chance that I stumbled upon your podcast. Yours just popped up. I said, okay, let me just try. And I like your interview style. I thought you asked good questions and I learned a lot. It was quite in-depth. So you mentioned about Patreon that I can get certain benefits. So when I looked into it, I said, okay, why not? I have really honestly already spent a lot of money that I didn't get any return from. I said, why not? I mean, in this journey, there's a lot of things that I spend money on, like the courses I bought, whatever. I said, why not? I just be a member and I get to speak to you and perhaps I can learn by having a one-on-one with you. I guess you kind of alluded to it, being able to work from home, I guess, when you started. So do you want to just reel it back to then? This was 97 when you actually started this business? You know, the company I'd worked for before had done a lot of consulting and training in software development. And it had been a great place to work when I first got there. Very family-friendly feel. As time, it got to be more important to make a profit than to have a healthy culture. And I'd been looking to leave just because I wanted a healthy culture again. And the opportunity arose for me to start a business. And right around the time I was thinking about it, just breaking out on my own, there was an offer to buy the company that I was part of. I had 3% stock and another 1 point something percent in options. Well, this is great. I can cash out, would have been a few hundred thousand dollars, not millions, but get my $200,000 and start my business with low risk, right? Because I'd have all that money in the bank. So I went in, I did had no golden handcuffs. I went in with my resignation letter. They were supposed to wire the money to my account on Saturday as they closed the deal. And I walked in, I saw our financial controller and I said, how'd it go on Saturday? She said, the deal fell through. I said, you're kidding. She said, I wish I was. Next thing I did was call my wife and she said, how did it go on Saturday? I said, the deal fell through. She said, you're kidding. I said, I wish I was. She said, well, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to start a new business with a lot less money and a lot more faith. So I handed in my resignation letter and two weeks later, I started Role Model Software. I'd actually been kind of starting it in the background before that, you know, just kind of getting a computer together and a few other odds and ends. Yeah, I remember back in 97, that was when the internet was just becoming a thing and you could start dialing in through a modem at home. Al Gore invented it, right? Right. So I was starting to get set up at home before I started the rest of the business, but I didn't have any clients yet. So I had to start to find my own clients. Okay. So this was basically in 97, exactly when you showing you started role model software? 97, yeah. Okay. And so you're in your mid thirties at this point? Yeah. Some reason when I was younger, I always thought I'd like to retire when I was in my mid thirties. Didn't have any particular plan on how to get there. Yeah, I had this fantasy about how I could just work thirty hours a week and make plenty of money and it'd be kind of semi-retirement doing what I love to do. Then I found out that when you start your own business, you can't just program and expect people to throw money at you. You have to do marketing and send out invoices and found out that I could work any sixty hours I wanted which I enjoyed the flexibility, but it definitely started taking up more time than I expected when I got started. If you don't mind, I'll jump in here because I think it's somewhat interesting. It's like, so you're outside of Raleigh, North Carolina too. Is that basically where you're located? Absolutely. And that's where you've been the whole time? Yep. Okay, cool. You had a wife, you said, but did y'all have any children yet at this point? Yeah, that's it. We just started homeschooling. So I had a four-year-old daughter of five. I guess she was turning five at that time. And she just turned five, I guess, when we started. And a son who was not even one yet. 
Okay. So you had three kids and then two kids at the time. We had another one 10 years later. Okay. I was going to say that, I mean, when you're trying to get out of your old business, you said the deal fell through. So I was a little confused by that. I mean, so did you end up not getting any money or did you still just have percentage still in that business? Like how'd that work before you left there? So I lost my options when I left, still had the stock, but actually the company went under a year later. The stock I had is a uh, wallpaper and I had a certificate that still have it tucked away someplace. So yeah, I didn't get any money out of that. Waiting to cash it out still? Uh, there's nothing to cash out. The company's folded. It was a joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when they said the deal fell through too, was it just for you or was another business trying to buy that business? Because I'm wondering how you're even able to bring that up to try to get out there. Right. Another business was going to buy that business. Okay. And then you were going to get the percentage. I was going to get the percentage, right? So you had the timing working out perfectly. Okay. So that makes a little bit more sense. Because I was wondering why they just cash you out that percentage unless they wanted to buy your percentage back. Yeah, they were going to buy the whole company. So starting your own business, were you excited then? I mean, to me, I'd be a little bit more worried not having as much money, it seems like. As I said, we started with a lot more faith and a lot less money. When I first started, I was like looking at it and said, you know, I could probably, if I needed to, live six months without getting paid. That wasn't my plan, but I said I could probably do that and hopefully get another job. I had a pretty good reputation in the industry and felt like I could get another job. In fact, I even explored working for a few people while I was starting my own thing just as an independent contractor and basically didn't find a company that I was super excited to work for. There were some decent companies out there that I wouldn't have minded working for, but I just wasn't excited about it. And the more I looked at it into the internet coming and I had grown as a leader and my ability to manage people, encourage people who were also developing as developers and decided, let me see if I can get enough clients and add a few employees at one point. I actually started with an apprentice because I felt like there was things to do. There's things I could show people how to do. And I didn't want to pay a college graduate more money than they were worth to have to teach them how to build software from scratch because they really don't teach you how to build software in college. They do an overview of computers and computer science. And even if you get a software engineering degree, you've spent maybe a few hundred hours, if that much, programming. Kind of like hiring a college graduate to build software in most cases. It's kind of like hiring somebody who's built a doghouse to build your house. There's a lot more to learn. And so I started looking for apprentices and found a young homeschooled guy who has since started the business and sold his and has made more money than I have. But he came on board and wanted to be mentored. And I wanted to have somebody to mentor. And he was a hard worker. And before I know it, I found another contract and added a couple of more experienced employees. You know, grew from like one person to about a dozen by the time rolled around 2001, 2002. And the dot bomb blew up. And found myself being the only employee left in 2002. Paid him, you know, it was about minimum wage, a little bit better than that. And then little by little, as his skills grew, that changed. And within a few years, he was making dollars to $90,000. My goal when I started my first apprentice was have him not be worse off than if he went to four years of college. And we kind of joked around, it was like breakfast, a ham and egg breakfast. I was the chicken contributing. He was the pig that was all in. And my goal was not to screw up his life, right? It was kind of a joke because about a year and a half later, said he was outperforming people who at our clients who had hired college graduates. He was outperforming them. But I said in four or five years, he actually started his own business and started the second business after that since cashed out, done very well. So just talked to him recently after his buyout. Remember some people saying I was going to screw up his life. I said, sorry, I screwed your life so bad, Nathaniel. Yeah, well, I forgive you. Yeah. So- <laughs> <laughs> That's good that y'all still keep up with each other. Yeah. 
so we've done a lot of apprenticeships since then and grown people up. Yeah, I guess that's what I was trying to figure out if you would have done it again or any suggestions on doing something like that. Because again, I guess you're taking a guy and just showing them how to work the software. And I mean, as long as they have work ethic, I mean, you can't really, it seems like it'd be pretty hard to teach that. If you can find someone with the right work ethic, you can kind of teach them anything. Yeah. And as an apprentice, I mean, he did come in having done some programming on his own. So he knew the basics. And as I tell most people, programming is like basketball, right? There's only about seven or eight fundamental things you have to do but you want to get pretty good at it before you're worth paying. Yeah, but once you understand those seven or eight fundamental things, then it's a matter of knowing when to use what. It's no longer a dribbling drill. It's, okay, when do you switch from dribbling to passing to whatever? It has to be fluid. And that's kind of go to a higher level of understanding of how to build software and how to put those things together and what questions to ask and how to extract people things from people's heads. Because the theory is that somebody gives you a spec and you just code it. The reality is that never happens. And if they do give you a spec, it's not accurate or complete. And by spec, just so everyone's on the same page, what do you mean? The specification of software, it was pretty common for people to give you like this 50 or 100 page tome of describing, here's what I want the software to do. No one ever handed me one of those in my life back when that was a common thing that was said, here's the spec, it's completely up to date and completely accurate. They never did that. But you're supposed to read it anyway and try to figure out somehow what that is. Yeah. Specification. Right. And this is software as people are giving you like a 50 page thing that to build software is basically what you're saying. Yeah. Describe what the software they want to build is. Generally speaking, that never worked. There's been studies that show that initial requirements specifications are 15% complete and 7% accurate. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised it's that high, Ken. Well, it's truth because what I call it is a horizon effect. Somebody looks at a spot on the horizon and says, if I can get to that spot on the horizon, I'll make millions or whatever. I'll meet my goals. And just like the rest of life, you don't meet your goals by looking, staring at that spot in the horizon and expecting you'll get there, right? You've got to move forward. And while you do, the world's moving. Things change. You start recognizing things as you get closer to the horizon. You didn't see that rock that was in front of you, you know, that you got to work around. And software is the same thing. You basically, you have a target, some direction you're trying to go. It's not like you just sit down and start typing and see what shows up. But there's a lot of interaction trying to figure out, okay, so I got this work. How do you like that? What's it really like? What do you want now that you've seen, you've gotten what you've asked for? Yeah, that is what I asked for. But boy, it's not as useful as I thought it was going to be. I need this and that. There's just a constant dialogue that has to happen. And in reality, that goes back to, that's what I've become an expert at, right? Over the 30 some years of doing that, 40 years now, almost. Yeah. So it seemed like everything went well, at least in the beginning up till 2002. So your first, let's say five years, you just slowly kept improving. And I guess, did you eventually get out of the house over those first five years if you're hiring employees? Yeah. I started in the office slash guest room slash homeschool room. <laughs> slash bathroom. No, no, the bathroom. I did have a separate bathroom. Oh, nice. That's good. Then I finished my attic, had a walk-up attic, and that worked my first apprentice. And as we added about two or three more people, that wasn't working anymore. So we got a business condo in Holly Springs and had that suited up to meet our needs. That was, I think we moved into there in 2000, maybe it was 99. I don't know. Yeah, that's fine. Well, we moved into that one. Yeah. So I appreciate you walking us along that. So then tell us what happens once the downturn and it seems like you have to fire everybody. Like what happens with all this? Because again, it seems like everything was going great up till this point, 2002. Right. So by half the company that I, at that time was people who had experience outside of our company and the rest were people that I grew up as apprentices and had a great team and no one was paying for software at that point in time. Had gotten onto the internet and they all lived past Y2K and decided let's stop spending money. 
So little by little, each of those guys got jobs. We kept in touch and I was trying to figure out, do I have to go get a real job again or do I keep this company going? What little is left? I get a little bit of a consulting gig here or there. We made it. God was faithful to feed us during that time. We certainly weren't living high on the hog by any means. And one day I was out with a couple of ex-employees and they were saying how much they appreciated the way I ran our company versus what they've experienced since then. And said, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could just get like a contract where we could just kind of work together as independent contractors and come together when we had a big contract and go find something else to do when we didn't. That's nice in theory. And literally two days later, I don't know if it was even two days later, got a call from a previous client. He said, hey, we've got a big project that we've been asked to do. We don't have the internal team to do it. I don't even think we have the internal capabilities to do it. He says, do you have any capacity right now? Yeah, I got some capacity. A lot of capacity. And he said, yeah, well, I've brought it up the chain and I told him that I think we should do this in an agile software development way. And I think we should hire a role model to do the work. Do you think you can get a team together to do that? I said, yeah, I think I can do that. As soon as we got off the phone. I called up those guys and said, hey, remember what we were talking about at lunch the other day? I got one and quickly assembled a team. Mostly the guys that worked for me before. I mean, I think my favorite interviews you've ever had are the ones where you've bleeped out their name. I think there was two of them where they were just absolute fails. Yeah, the two Patreon episodes, I think it was number two and then yeah. 17 that just came out recently. It was just like the oddest interaction ever. It was awkward and super, super entertaining. Yeah, well, good. Well, glad I got two entertaining Patreon ones there for you. <laughs> yeah. And so the guys who worked for you before, they went to other businesses or other software companies and were helping them develop software, is what you're saying? Yes, exactly. But then on their free time, basically y'all were still friends or friendly at least enough to go to lunch that they're like, hey, I don't like my new boss as much, but obviously I'm still getting money, so I'm going to stay there. But maybe we could work together on an outside basis as an independent contractor outside of my normal business hours for my new software company. No, they were all in. They quit their jobs. They all quit their jobs and came back? Yeah. What, in 2002? I mean, at that time, it was, I think I ended up with six people. I mean, that's a lot of people to quit their, so six people quit their jobs and came back to you? Three of them quit their jobs. One of them I had as an apprentice already who was working under me for nothing. At that time, he was just learning, right? And said, how about something we start paying you for? Then another one was another guy I knew through the business who had been a previous client of mine who was kind of in between jobs. So I think we ended up with six people, three who quit their jobs, one who was looking for a job, and one apprentice when we started back up. What year was this? 2003. Okay. So basically you just had one down year, you're saying, and then y'all came back together like superheroes? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, 2002, I paid no taxes. I got my money back, just taking a loss and spent a lot of 2002 going through government paperwork of trying to tell them I don't need a 401k anymore, things like that. And just enough work to eat. And 2003 was when it picked back up. Okay. And then, so do you want to kind of quickly go through the chronological order of what happened from there as far as your business? Sure. Well, I kind of jokingly call, you know, the first few years role model 1.0 and then the next few years role model 2.0. Well, you would say that because you're a software company, right? Exactly. It's always 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. Yeah. So in role model 2.0, I decided, you know, it's a whole lot easier just working with a bunch of contractors. And if I don't have work, I don't pay them. And if we do have work, I pay them well. And we went for that approach and used contractors for the next five years. 
Okay, and this makes sense again, so everyone understands. So before, the reason you had to get rid of them is because they were employees, so you had to pay them even if you weren't getting business. But when they came back, you're like, hey, we're going to be independent contractors? Right. And the thing at this point in time, and people started realizing they still needed software, we just got more and more business. And I already had a reputation. In 2001, I had written a book called Extreme Programming Applied. Unfortunately, it didn't sell a lot because it was at a time when no software people had any money to buy books. But the people who did buy it, it got good reviews and I had a good reputation. So we used that reputation to get some more business. I was running lean and mean. One point in time, I think I had 20 contractors working for me and I was just overseeing all of it. I think we peaked in about 2006, 2007. At that point in time, so much business was coming in, especially through one client, and I was just managing it, and it was kind of easy, really. At that point in time, I was probably working 30 to 40 hours a week, just overseeing that business mostly with one client, decided that I was going to move out of my business condo and build a new house and have the company work out of my basement, walkout basement, because we have hills in North Carolina coming. I had to build a deck and everything. That's why you built that software, huh? That came afterwards. But anyway, decided to do that. And then the big recession of 2007, 2008 came and I moved into my new office on May 1st of 2009 with three contractors who were actually working on a different project that I wasn't making money off of and myself and no revenue. That was a tough time. On paper, it was all going to work out. I was going to sell my business condo, sell my house. I bought some property and subdivided, sell the other property and end up with less debt than I ever started with. And paper didn't work out. And I ended up with five mortgages and heading towards bankruptcy. It has been pretty up and down already, huh? <laughs> Just listening to. Yeah. So kind of joking around the role model was the roller coaster at that point. Yeah. So I guess let me get your feelings up when this happened. How old are you at this point? We're 2008. We're about mid 40s. Yep. Late 40s even. Are you thinking in your head, like, what did I do? Like, why did I do this versus. It's just kind of hard to imagine that it seems like everything, this is your second big wave. And it's like, why did I start my own business? Yeah, well, you know, said there was good years and bad years in there, right? I had a couple of years where I didn't pay any taxes. I had a couple of years where I paid a lot of taxes. And although I don't like paying taxes, the years where I paid a lot of taxes were overall better years. Yeah. I mean, we were able to make it through that eventually. You might like this thing. I just got off an interview before, I guess yesterday, where the person was saying, if you're looking at 10 years, usually they're told it's like six years are going to be average, two years are going to be really good, you're going to make a lot of money, and then two years are going to be pretty bad, you're going to make no money. And it seems like you're kind of being applied to that perfectly in this dynamic. Yeah, that's pretty good proportions from my experience. Well, I said with the podcast, I just started my first two years in the negative. So now I should only be average and above average now, right? One would hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to predict at any given time what's really going to, what the year ahead's really going to look like. Just like software, right? The specifications don't always work out. Or if you like own a gym and the government makes you forced to close it. Yeah, there's a good example. You didn't put that into your pro forma? <laughs> well, we plan on coming back with a gym. We're going to make it, but just don't know exactly when we're going to open back up. Right. But I mean, the whole point is I'm trying to allude to yeah. just like the ups and downs and like, you don't know what's going to happen, right? You don't know. I think anybody who starts a business thinking they're just going to take off and make a lot of money, if you don't realize there's going to be ups and downs, it's going to be pretty frustrating. And actually, one thing I learned over the years is I always believed God would provide for us. And he did in so many different ways. I mean, the years the year that I didn't make any money, we had two different friends gave us vehicles. We had a friend of ours who was picking up Panera's stuff that they got rid of at the end of the day. And they'd always stop by our house. And at that point in time, they had these different rules than they have now, but they had these gourmet sandwiches that were pre-made. 
and I'd have gourmet sandwiches all week long for lunch. As a God provided through even the tough times. Well, did your friends know you weren't doing well? Oh, yeah. Because a lot of people kind of keep that hidden. Well, and, and I said, it weren't doing well. You know, we were never starving. It sounds like you're starving as people are dropping off food at your house. <laughs> we would have eaten ramen noodles or whatever, I guess, if they didn't. But we ate better than otherwise. But yeah, they knew I was struggling and saying, hey, please pray. I don't know if I need to go get another job or just get some more business. Looking forward to try to get some more business. And then when all of a sudden we get that contract, it came back. And when we built our house, of course, every building project has debacles. And we had a whole bunch of those too. So not only were we over budget on building the house, we also had our revenue dry up at the same time. And we had some assets, right? So we were trying to sell them, but I ended up two of the lots that I had paid free and clear, I ended up having the mortgage so I could have the cash to finish the house so I could actually move in. But we were provided for each time. As I tell people, it's like, it's one, it's easy to, to say, yeah, I believe God's going to provide for us. When you get a steady paycheck, that's the same every week and an occasional raise. It's just real easy to say that when you go month to month and realize, wow, we're making good money this month. We might not be making it in two months. When's the next project going to come in? You really get to learn to test your faith. Is God going to provide? And what do I need to do in the meantime, right? I mean, both of those things, because there's times where I spent lots of time and energy trying to dig up sales. And there were times when I wasn't worrying about sales and they would just show up. Anybody who thinks it's all about them and they work hard enough, it'll all come together. You probably haven't done this long enough. No, I agree with you. That's the reason that maybe it's age discrimination by people on the podcast. I try to make, now I feel like I'm old when I say, basically, I try to make sure they're at least 30 and up. If they've only seen ups in their business, I'm like, good luck. If you can't tell me anything that bad has happened, then you haven't had enough experience. Well, you know, it's funny you talk about that age when, uh, in 2009, so right now I'm trying to figure out what does role model 3.0 look like? Of course we have 3.0 now, right? Because now we're coming out of the recession again and we had 1.0, 2.0, and now here's 3.0. Right. And then 3.0, I was like, okay, do I do this again? I don't want to go through these cycles every time. And I look back and said, what did I learn from each of those? I said, boy, when I had the employees and we had this unity, singleness of purpose, we had some great camaraderie, what did I do wrong? And I said, well, you know, what I think I didn't do right is I didn't focus enough on marketing and sales when I had work, right? I was too busy delivering and not paying enough attention to that. And in 2012, so what, what did I do right there? I said, well, I managed the ebbs and flows of this business because I had contractors, but it was hard to get any kind of loyalty. Have one contract end, and if I didn't have another contract lined up for these contractors, they'd find their own work, and I could find a new job two weeks later, and they'd already be gone. So I had no loyalty. So I was like, man, I don't like that not loyalty thing. I like the able to manage the ebbs and flows, but what if I just focus on getting some help to get a steady pipeline so somehow I can make those ebbs and flows not be so drastic and I keep people employed. So I started trying to figure out what that would look like, how to manage ebbs and flows and get a steady pipeline and floundered through that for the next few years. I hired some people to try to help. Some worked out better than others. I started turning contractors into employees little by little. Again, though, even for learning from the first time, because this is a perfect situation where now we've learned from the first time you had employees and the reason you had to stop that was because of cash, right? They're costing too much, especially when you have projects. Then the second version 2.0, as you say, of your company is like, okay, I have all contractors. It's a lot more financial sense for you, like personally. But then it makes sense. What you're saying is like, if I don't have business coming in the door, they've got to eat too. So if they're independent contractors, they're going to go find another software company that they can go work for. And so now you're saying in version three of your company, we're saying 2009, is you're trying to figure out, okay, the only way I can kind of manage both is to make sure... 
I've got more stuff coming in my pipeline keep these independent contractors because I want to keep them independent contractors because that helped you out financially, at least it's version 2.0. But if you don't have enough deals coming in, then they got to go somewhere else. Just to summarize. Yeah, exactly. So what I ended up coming up with was a hybrid and said before the people that I really feel like are in tune in sync with the company vision, want to devote some of their time to things other than just getting paid by the hour. I would hire as employees and people who are, and then I find contractors who are more mercenaries that were qualified. I mean, you know, I was still pretty picky about the people I've worked with because if you don't focus on your quality, you don't have a business in the long term. As I say, people remember the quality long after the price is forgotten, right? So I try to find the folks that wanted to become employees and that I wanted to have as employees and would turn them into employees and then used contractors to handle some of the ebb and flow. So if I could keep the baseline good enough to cover the employees and as new work came in, I could spike by adding a few contractors. That seemed to be a pretty good balance. And it generally worked. Actually, remember, I think it was right around 2012 when I was turning 50. And I heard something about Dave Ramsey. I was listening to the radio, hearing Dave Ramsey talk. And somebody who was in their 50s called up and said, they don't know what to do. You know, they need to make some money and their age discrimination. And Dave Ramsey just stopped and says, hold on a second. He says, you know, it's been proven time and time again. The people make the most money in their 50s. It just seems to come together in your 50s. And I'm like, all right, Dave, bring it <laughs> on, man. All right, we want to see this come together in my 50s. And quite honestly, I mean, I'm only 57 at this point, and we've had some ups and downs. In fact, last year was a down year, but definitely made more money in my 50s than I have in my 40s and my 30s. I do think a lot of things have come together. And I think it's that's one thing I see with a lot of young people who want to be entrepreneurs. Learn by starting to be an employee. Try to understand the business that you're in respect the expertise of the people who've come before you. There is going to be a time, right? Whether my oldest son at 22 started, he runs the gym, right? But he was working with me when he was 13. He had nine years of work experience. Well, yeah, it's free labor for you. That's good. Yeah, it wasn't always free. Sometimes it was. Yeah, so he worked for me and then he worked for other people and having been in businesses, especially in businesses that were customer facing, he learned how to handle customers, how to handle the public. So he could be an, somewhat of an entrepreneur when he's 22. But he had that experience before. You made sure he had bad bosses. That way he'd appreciate you, right? Yeah, well, he actually, when he was 15, decided he wanted to work for somebody else, not because he didn't like me. But he said, I got to prove to myself that I can get a job from somebody besides my dad, which I thought was wise. And he worked for Chick-fil-A and he worked at a gym. He had some pretty bad bosses along the way. He had a couple of good ones. He worked as a car valet. He worked cleaning gutters roof gutters. But yeah, most of them were customer-facing, public-facing physicians, and he really learned that skill. He was great with it. You know, when he got time to run the business himself, he had something that he was an expert at, and both as a ninja warrior and customer-facing, right? Let's go through that. So what's your transition from version 3.0? Has your company still stayed version 3.0 up till today, or did, have we gone to 4.0? Yeah, well, I kind of jokingly call it 4.0 and 5.0 at times. <laughs> Because of different transitions we've had within the company, but really many ways, 3.0 was the vision of how do I make this hybrid thing? And we've been optimizing and part of it is finding my replacements now, right? I've trained up somebody to be my replacement if and when I decide to leave and we have a leadership team in place. So, boy, I have a lot more freedom than I used to. When I ran everything myself, I was the guy running everything. And if I happen to have one of those weeks where all the contracts were in place and I could leave, I could do that. 
you know, now I have a lot more freedom because I can take a week or two and know the rest of the leadership team is on is in, in sync and nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah. How big is your team today? We have 20-ish full-time people, 20, 21, 22 full-time, and a few contractors right now. That seems like a lot more employees you've let on, but it made sense when you said you wanted to have some employees because culture is hard to create when you just had the independent contractors too. So, and then I guess where you're saying like 2019, you said that was down year, but I was curious, what did revenues end up getting to in this roller coaster of a ride for you? Yeah. So I think our highest year was somewhere between four and a half and 5 million. Since 2009, I think every year was over a million and less than five. So that sounds good. I think we've wrapped up basically what we're talking about here with role model software, but wanted to jump to, because you were talking about your son too. Some of us might have businesses and maybe we want to start a side business. And so can you tell us about that transition of like what year you did that with your son and how you're able to pull that off? Right. It's probably three years ago when we first had the idea of what might it be like to open your own gym for him. It was kind of his idea. And he said, well, how could I do that? I don't have any money. <laughs> like everybody else, if you're opening up a business, you either start with a service business, which is the easiest business to start, right? You low overhead, make sure you're making enough money to pay yourself. And at some point in time, you get somebody to back you if you need capital you don't have, whether that's a loan or investor or whatever. He said, yeah, but who'd invest in me? I said, well, I'd invest with you, said, but not today. We have to have a lot more conversations between now and then. And he had talked a little further and he said, are you serious about this? If so, let's start meeting, come up with a plan. And I won't charge you my consulting fees, but, you know, we'll just start talking about how to run a business. Because one of the things I've done in my software business is not just write software, but I'm a business consultant all the time, right? People come with these ideas and they've got to turn it into a business, get a return on investment. So I'm discussing all the different pros and cons with them all the time, right? So I've really kind of become a business consultant, not just a software consultant. Well, I'm curious, how do people know you as that? Like, do they obviously you have a, your own business, it's a software company, but are you known in that area, like outside of Raleigh, that, hey, this is the businessman, Ken, come to him to talk to him? I think just the fact that I've been in business for as long as I have, people who know me know that. It's not like I'm not an international business consultant that people are coming from around the globe to talk to or anything. Yeah, no, I get that. If they're your friends, you'll probably cook at lunch or whatever and have talk to them for free, but you're saying you charge. So I'm just curious. You must have kind of a side business, it seems like, of consulting people. But generally, when people come to us for a software product, find out in the middle of it, they need business consulting. So I'm just charging for my time, charge for my time, whether it's business consulting or software consulting, because my consulting is about them and their return on investment on their software, right? Generally speaking. So I, I've not charged anybody for just, hey, you want to start a business? Pay me money and I'll come I'll to your business consultant. Right. No, it's usually as a necessary process of helping people build their software. So, I mean, how much do you charge per hour to those clients? So this is good. I'm glad because now this makes a lot more sense. Someone might come to you and say, hey, Ken, I need this software done. And then when you're talking to him, you're like, let me just tell you, I can help you out, look at your business and try to help you out with that. Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. In fact, we've talked a lot of people out of building software. Sometimes people want to hear what they want to hear, right? They say, hey, you know, I got this idea. Everybody I talk to says it's going to make millions. Say, have you ever been in a software project before? No. Like, okay, well, I know a lot of people who have ideas that they think are going to make millions. Have you ever run a business before? No. How much money do you think this is going to cost to build a software? Oh, I don't know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars It's like, no, it's going to cost a lot more than that. Guy told me you can outsource this stuff to India for cheap. And it's like, yeah, talk to people who've actually outsourced twenty or $30,000 projects to India. 
and what they've really done. And I'm not picking on Indians. If they're naive about what it's going to take to build a business around their software, we really spend a lot of time talking to them. I think one of the things that I've talked about this earlier, quality is remembered long after the price. I've never tried to be a volume business. I've always tried to be quality service business. We've had many people thank us for just, hey, most people we call about our software, they just want to give us a price and get us going. You guys actually have spent the time to talk to us and educate us and really appreciate that. And whether they've become a customer or not. But at the end, end of the day, I've told when I, when I first started the business, I'd never want to take a dollar from somebody who didn't think they got their value. That's not going to happen if you just tell people what they're willing to spend and just to figure out how to take their money. So in that philosophy, you know, one of the things I was talking to my son about when we first started meeting about this gym and what he wanted to do is what can you start doing that can provide value for people? And how can you prove that you can do that consistently? What are your ideas? What might you be able to charge for? So we just started working through all the different possibilities. And let's look at the low risk ones, because when we start a lot of software projects, it's a high risk. You might be investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in hopes of getting millions. But if your hopes aren't met, you spend a few hundred thousand dollars, right? There's a risk involved. Becoming a patron was something that I was always like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I was delaying it for whatever reason. And the other day I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And, uh, and that's it. So I'm very happy with it. Nice. Well, thank you for joining. So was there anything holding you back? It was just uh, taking the time to do it. Gotcha. Well, thank you for taking the time to do it. So um, where are you located? Here in Bolivia, in South America. Cool. Well, I think you're our first Patreon member from South America. So thanks for that again. And um, I don't know if you just saw, I just upped the group calls from once a month to twice a month. So I think that's actually where probably you'll get the most value of the membership personally. Doing the group calls, you guys get to actually, you know, ask our past guests questions and I'm just there to facilitate it. So it does sound interesting, again, that you, I think I'd rather go back to this instead of talking about opening the gym, to be honest, because in our limited time, because I understand, because you're kind of asking these same questions to your son, and then eventually, obviously, y'all are able to open the gym and do that. Yeah, so walk us through a conversation with someone who wants software, and they might come to you and give us a recent example and just leave out their names or whatever. Because I'm sure there's lots of people listening who's like, I can make this software maybe for 50000 And then you're saying you could outsource it to India. And actually, they could do a good job. But if you're not a developer and you don't know how to talk to them, and then you also don't know the language barrier, like if you're from India and you come to the U.S., it makes sense that you could outsource it and have total control. You just need someone who could help you to make sure you got that cost control. But I mean, walk us through what you've talked to clients before when they've tried to build software and when it didn't make sense. Yeah, well, first of all, software is a kind of a mystery magic to a lot of people. They see all this software out there. Well, there's all this software. It must be easy. And there's obviously lots of people who build it. Yeah, there's lots of people who fail building it. Lots of people who produce software that no one pays for. At the end of the day, if you want to run a successful business, let's make sure that you understand what it's going to take. The people that I have most success with, quite honestly, are people who've already run a successful business. They already know their customer. They already know their who their customers are, what their customers are wanting to pay for. Well, can you give us an example, like more of a concrete, tell us what industry or whatever, so we can imagine? I'll use Rapid Air as an example for this. So Rapid Air started by an engineer who put together kits to build compressed air systems. So a compressed air system is really simple in many ways. There's a compressor that gives you compressed air, and you put it through pipes, and you have outlets in various places you want them to, whether you want to power pneumatic tools or whatever else you want that compressed air to come out. But it's really a compressor and a bunch of pipes and a bunch of fittings. Well, he understood the kind of people who wanted to put compressed air systems together. 
and people would call them up and say, here's what I'm trying to do. And they'd try to sketch it out. And hours later, they would come up with, okay, based on what you're trying to do, here's the set of pipes and fittings you need. And that was a pretty long process, especially for the old guy in the garage who, you know, was looking for something to do. And maybe I'll put compressed air in my uh, garage so I can play around with my pneumatic tools a little bit more, whatever, right? I could take four or five hours over several days to come up with a very small purchase. And he'd also get somebody from an Amazon warehouse calling the 80,000 square feet, wants to put a compressed air system. For them, it's worth taking a few hours to discuss that, right? Because they're going to get a larger purchase. But what he recognized was, man, the time it takes to go back and forth was problematic. If I could reduce my time it took to create the sale and make it more inviting for people to come have the conversation, I could increase my sales and reduce my cost of sales. He got that. He understood that. He knew who his customer was. So we said, well, let's build some software. And we started talking through the software of how do we make it so that people can design their own compressed air systems. They already know the size of the building. Right? Everybody who's coming for compressed air systems knows, I have this building. I want to put compressed air in there. So they define the size of the building. They start sketching out where they want their stuff. And through their calculations, which he already knew, he could break down exactly how many pipes, how many fittings, et cetera, et cetera. And the order would go through. So he went from a point where every customer who called would have to go talk to an estimator and to take hours to walking in on Monday morning with 40 estimates or some number of estimates that nobody ever had to talk to anybody. It just came in because they went to the website, they sketched out, and there was the order. They already did all the calculations, everything. How much time did it take before versus after? For the cost of sales, so the average was hours over days to either no time or minutes because when they get the phone call, it would be, look, I've already sketched it out, but I have a question about this thing in the corner. So the estimator could talk through the thing in the corner and then they'd have the sale. They could go live to their website and just kind of do it themselves, you're saying, the customer? Yeah, absolutely. So you go to rapidair.com and you can see their system, it's live. That was perfect success, right? This guy already knew his customer. He already had the connections with those customers. He already had a website that people would find when they're looking for compressed air systems. And he just needed to have something that would draw them in faster and make the sale faster. As opposed to the person who calls up and says, hey, you know, I had this idea. Yeah, tell us an idea that didn't work. Yeah, I had this idea, like Uber. I wanted to be just like Uber. <laughs> you probably get so many people saying that. Instead of replacing cab rides, I want it to be for delivering my parts. How much is that going to cost? Like auto parts to different auto dealerships or something? Or are we talking about? Oh, and they would say deliver parts. They wouldn't even know. So I'm going to deliver parts. How much would that cost? I'm like, what parts are you trying to do? What network do you have? What investment are you ready to make? Right. They would just say, boy, Uber seems pretty simple, right? People just sign up. They become a driver. People get rides. They get money. So I just want to do something like that. And you spend time helping them understand, like the first 1.0 of Uber cost about a million dollars just in software development, not to mention the network they had to put together. Do you understand that? This isn't something that because Uber did it, now you can do it for $20,000 and make a lot of money. People just don't understand that. They're naive. Yeah, this is when you put your business hat on. I'm glad, again, that you said that you help people or people you charge people because you have to put your business hat on at this point and say, hey. I can make whatever. Well, actually, you still can't because they didn't give you any details, it seems like. But business-wise, this is not going to make any sense. This is what you're saying. You talk people out of like who might come out to you with these wild ideas that, again, they don't have any background in an industry or have this potential clients versus if you already have a business, it seems like those are the perfect customer for you if they already have a business and they just need help adding these little 
extra layers to make things way more efficient. Now, if you already have an expertise in a field, you know, we have another gentleman, Land One Takeoff. They came to us, the owner came to us. He was working for somebody else at the time, but he had a lot of expertise in landscape estimation. And he first came, you know, he asked the same naive question anybody else did. And we just started explaining to him, look, in order to do this, it's going to cost you, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. You have not just in software, but you need to think about your marketing and how you're going to reach the network. You know, you already have to some extent the network, but how do you go to the bigger level than just the handful of guys, you know, in the industry? And we spent time talking to him over the next few months. And eventually he called up and said, okay, I raised some money. Let's get going. But he had to recognize that he could do that and that he was going to need to raise some money and it was going to take a risk. And we challenged him on, look, at some point in time, you can't do this part-time anymore. You need to do it full-time because it's going to take your time. He understood that too. And he did it part-time for a while and eventually said, okay, this is the day. I got to devote full-time to it. I'm all in. That was great. It was a great success story, but there was a lot of business consulting that went on before he pulled the trigger and we had a client. Thank you for walking us through those. And then briefly, we can touch on before we get off the call here. So you're saying about two or three years ago, you started this gym with your son. And now we understand why you have some even extra business experience other than just your own business. It's like you see all these businesses coming in that are doing software. So it seems like a way more diversified way of asking your son questions when he wants to open up his business versus just what you have when your own business. Yes, I started meeting with my son on a regular basis. We started talking about how could you get started? How could you test the waters? He came up with the idea of making a mobile ninja warrior because there's a lot of people who are interested in the sport. He put together a small system that he could take two places that might work because although it's a growing sport, there's very few ninja warrior gyms. So he invested about $30,000 in uh, a little bit more than that, actually, designing and building a mobile ninja warrior set. So started that way, learned a lot from that. And that was always a step towards eventually getting a building. And we eventually found a, a building that was going to be a perfect fit, had a big enough space. It was affordable enough. And we'd been to plenty of Ninja Warrior gyms, some of them tucked back in an industrial park that nobody knew existed. We wanted a place with some road frontage that was more accessible. We found a place like that. You know, we learned a lot from hearing, talking to other gym owners and hearing them complain about the different challenges they had in starting there. A lot of them were underfunded and trying to squeak by. And we decided after a while, we saw what the most successful gyms were doing. They were investing a lot more and finding a lot more space and already had connections in the industry, which by that time, he had been competing at places, already had connections. When we had our grand opening on Labor Day. We had American Ninja Warrior stars from all over the country come to our opening day. We had, a, I don't know, probably 700 people show up at our grand opening from the town. But, you know, it took a long time to get there, right? You don't just say, I got an idea, it's going to make a million dollars. You got to work, figure out what your connections are, what is happening in the industry, who's successful, who's not, why are they successful, why are they not? In our case, we kind of call, we have Ninja Gym 2.0. Of course. The pioneers who started Ninja Gyms were like guys who were on the show and needed a place to work out in between shows. So they'd rent a warehouse and start hanging stuff from the ceiling. And eventually people say, hey, can I work out there too? And but they never really figured out a good business model until several years into it. But they started saying, here's how you make money. Here's how you don't make money. Here's what says. And I wish I would have done it at my gym. We learned from the industry by talking to people. And I think that's what you have to do with anybody, any business you're going into, right? Understand what people want. Understand where their pain points are. Understand who's done it before and what they're doing well, what they're not doing well. Figure out how to differentiate yourself. Eventually that success comes and you'll have the roller coaster, right? You've got to be able to Go with the ups and downs, but know what you're about and tabs on what's happening in the marketplace and what you can deliver. 
ups and downs of business are just like a lot in the America Ninja Warrior obstacles, right? Yeah, there's always obstacles we're dealing with in life. Multiple puns intended there. There you go. Well, thank you, Ken, for sharing your story. I mean, what you said there about talking to people in the industry or other businesses, that's the whole reason people are listening now so they can learn from you. So I appreciate you sharing your time. If someone wanted to say thank you for doing this interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? They can reach me at uh, Role Model Software, ken.hour at rolemodelsoftware.com. Pretty easy. R-O-L-E-M-O-D-E-L software. Yeah. And I think you dropped some last words of wisdom there, but I was just making sure, is there anything else you want to leave everybody with who's listening now, who's interested in starting their business, already has one? Yeah. If you feel like you're being called to start a business, feel like you're an entrepreneur, don't confuse God's calling with God's timing. Recognize you might have to pay your dues and learn a lot first. And the learning, the journey is actually the fun. Whether you make a lot of money or not, my goal was never to be a millionaire or multimillionaire or anything like that. It was to provide good service and enjoy what I'm doing and not starve in the meantime. Well, we know you never starved because you were eating that good old Panera food for free. It was. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ken. Well, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. see i'm looking at our new what are we doing now for our patreon for our group calls oh we're doing two a month yeah we are and the membership price is still the same unbelievable so if you want to become a member join our patreon membership by going to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash patreon and again the price is still the same i'm not going to keep it this way forever we're now doing two group calls a month for the price of one you're welcome